All right, sorry, let me get myself set here. All right, well, good morning again. It's a 4th of July weekend. We celebrate our nation. And I just want to take a moment. Let's pray. I hope we do pray for our nation. Our nation needs God's help. Amen. Our nation needs God's help. Our nation has clearly abandoned God, save that God has His church in America. Let's, let's pray for our nation. Father, we thank you so much that we live in what I believe to be the greatest nation ever in the history of the world. A nation that was founded on the principles of religious freedom, of which our founding fathers did look to the Bible for morality, of how to rule over a people, of justice and equality. And Lord, certainly we as a nation have distorted all of those things. We've abandoned the biblical principles. We've been anything but equitable, anything but just. We're a nation that slaughters unborn babies, that perverts sexuality, that perverts the design that God has clearly laid out. And yet, Lord, we thank you that still in this nation, We are here today without worry or fear of seeking after God, of telling the truth of who God is, of His wonderful plan of the mystery of God revealed in Christ Jesus for the ages. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. But we ask, Lord God, that you you would move in our nation. We pray for our leaders whom you have appointed over us. Your word tells us that you're the one who rises up kings and you're the one who deposes kings. That belongs to you and you alone. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for the president that we have. Yes, Lord, as Christians, we disagree so much with what he says and what he does. But he is the Lord's anointed over this nation. And Lord, help us to guard ourselves as we speak about our leaders. We pray, Lord God, that repentance would come to President Joe Biden. The gospel of Jesus Christ would take hold in his soul for his own sake, for the sake of our nation. We pray that for every senator and congressman in our state and in our nation. We ask, Lord God, that the gospel would flourish. The truth would prevail. That your righteousness, which indeed truly brings justice and equity, would reign. We ask, Lord God, that you would do these things. For the glory of Christ, amen and amen. We're going to continue in our series in Ephesians. We've looked at already the person. We've seen how Paul had prayed that they would know the person of Jesus Christ. 
that they would have a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. They would really know who God is. They would know who God is in Christ Jesus. That they would know the great promise of God, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And they would know the hope that they have. They would know the immeasurable riches of His grace, of His glory in the saints of Christ Jesus. They would know the inheritance that is theirs. And of course, we took these things to be for ourselves because they were. That we would know the person of Jesus Christ. That we would know the promise of God. Today we'll look at the power and the position of Christ. I ask you to stand with me as we would read from the Bible. From the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Would you stand with me please? First a brief prayer. Father, we ask that you make the book alive to us. That you show us our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. And what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. And all. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we look at the prayer that they would know the power, the power that God has for the saints in Christ Jesus. I want to read you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, the most urgent practical question for every Christian is this. Are we aware of the fact that the almighty power of God is working in us? Do we realize that we are what we are solely and entirely by the grace and the power of God? Do we realize in our own personal lives and experiences that it is this exceeding great power of God that accounts for everything in the Christian life? He goes on to say, I press these questions again because I am convinced that the main trouble with most of us is our failure to realize the greatness of the salvation into which we have been brought and which we enjoy together. Power. The power of God. Paul prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Look what it says in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Immeasurable, hyperballo, hooperballo, uberballo, however you want to say it. It means to excel past, extraordinary, supreme, much greater. God's power is immeasurable. 
It's immeasurable greatness, he says. Megathos. Don't you just love the Greek? Greatness. Magnitude. How great is the power of God? Do we ever stop and contemplate the power of God? What do you think causes the sun to rise in the morning and set in the evening? The power of God. What do you think causes the fact that your cells and my cells are working as they should? It's the power of God. His power is all around us. No wonder the scriptures say that men are without excuse to see and know the invisible divine qualities of God. It's all around us. He says in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? Power, dunamis, literally meaning the great power of God, meaning His almighty energy. The chief of all the attributes of God is that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omni, all-potent, powerful. There was a survey that I looked at by a guy I follow on Twitter. He asked if, uh, if you could have one divine attribute, what, one superpower, what would you choose? And everybody's going, oh, I would choose, you know, that I would be able to forgive people, and I would love all the Christian Sunday school answers, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, these people don't get it. I would say, I want to be omnipotent because every other superpower is contained within being omniscient. I mean, om- omnipotent. Omniscience is within om- om- omnipotent. What would you do if you were omnipotent? Suppose you were literally given all power. What would you do? How would you act? Being that we're humans and not divines, I could tell you what would probably happen. We'd kill everybody. That's what I would do, right? If you ever saw Infinity Wars, right, or Endgame, Endgame, Right, Thanos, which is the Greek word for death, wanted to bring balance and give, wipe out 50% of the entire universe. And he was going to bring balance. We would wipe out 100% so that only we were left. Now, maybe you say, I wouldn't. Maybe you'd feel bad. Maybe you'd kill somebody and then bring them back to life again, just to get angry again, just to kill them again and bring them back to life. <laughs> if we had all power, certainly for us, we would become what? Utterly corrupt. God is not. God is gracious. God is kind in His power. God is patient in His power. God uses His power for His children. Let me ask you this. Do you really believe that God possesses all power? Do we really believe that? Do I really believe that God spoke and created the world? Do we really believe that God said to the mountains, this is how high you are? And to the sea, this is how far your boundary is? Do we really believe that the finger of God put the plagues on Egypt? Do we really believe that the finger of God flicked the stars into place? Do we really believe, as God said said to Job, that he puts puts a hook in Leviathan's mouth? We'll get back to Leviathan in a little bit. 
Do we really believe that the power of God sets captives free? That God's power is at work in us and through us, and it is for us. Do we really believe that God's immeasurably great power is for His children only? Do we really believe that? Look again at what verse 19 says. He prays, and they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Who's God's power for? For God's children. God's power works for the good of His children. If you are not God's child, God's power works against you. You may be saying, well, I know people who are evil and wicked. People who don't care about God and they're living the best life. David lamented that in the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do my feet slip? What's going on? But in the end, When we all face the Lord Jesus Christ on the great day of judgment, God's power is either for you or it's against you. And if you are on the wrong side of the grace, on the wrong side of the cross, if you have consistently shoved your fist in God's face, God's power will work against you and you will be condemned to eternity outside of the grace of God. If through humility... You've bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's power will welcome you and sustain you in heaven to be in His holy presence forever and ever. God's power is toward His children. It is His power to rescue, supply, heal, and sustain His predestined children, adopted and loved, and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's immeasurably great power is only for God's children, and it is never to harm them. That's why God's power towards us should produce in us hope. God's power gives me hope. A hope that we are to bring to others. I like what Brian Chappelle says in his commentary, and again, I would recommend to you Brian Chappelle. He's just a great man of God, a great speaker of God, a great expositor of God's Word. You can look him up on Sermon Audio. He says this in his commentary, We are in God's family, and that means we are in the family business. Ooh, uh uh-oh, sounds kind of mobbish, right? That business is hope. That business is hope. There is hope for our fallen condition, our sin-sick world, and our sin-bound souls because of the power of Christ that is for us. We are dispensers of hope, offering the hope that God's riches and power can make tomorrow brighter than today. Making plain the nature and location of the power that gives hopes becomes the next focus of the apostle. And that's exactly what Paul and the rest of the book of Ephesians is going to do. Is going to focus on this power that we have that brought us from death to life. That helps us to stand firm in a spiritual battle. We talked about Leviathan. And if you go to the book of Job and you read chapters 38 and 40 and to the rest of the book, God gives Job a whole series of questions. And it all has to do with God's power. And he talks about this Leviathan. We don't know what Leviathan was. 
But we know that Leviathan was a creature that no man could possibly have triumph over. God's word says it. Matter of fact, he says to Job, he goes, Job, why don't you go battle with him? Go, go, go down to the river there and you battle Leviathan. I promise you, Job, you'll never forget the battle. Then he says, but Job, when Leviathan sees me, he begs me for a covenant of peace. He begs me to make peace with him. You see, Job, I take a hook and I put it in his mouth. And I lead him wherever I want him to go. He is as nothing to me. So the question I would ask you today, loved ones, what Leviathan are you facing? Know that God has the power to rescue. Know that God's power has no limit to it. There is nothing or no one more powerful than God. A nuclear bomb pales in comparison to God. Now, you know I like to watch World War II videos. I like to watch uh, World War II in color. I like military history. And we know what an atomic bomb can do. That when that bomb was let off over Japan so many years ago, 70,000 people instantly disappeared. Not a trace of them left. That's horrible. But God's power is so much greater than any nuclear bomb. God's power is greater than any tidal wave, any tsunami, any tornado, any hurricane, any wildfire, or anything else in nature in which we sit and go, wow, look how powerful that is. God is powerful. And God is using that power for the good of His children. For your good. What Leviathan are you facing today? Is God's power not enough? Or as he would say through the prophet Isaiah, is the arm of the Lord too short? Is my arm wibbled up, you know, writhed up? Is it not able to reach out and to save you? It's a rhetorical question. Of course it is. Look at what he says in verse 19 again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. That's an important word. Working. Energia. It means operative. It's at work. God's power never runs out. Jesus says in John 5, 17, But Jesus answered, And my Father is working until now, and I am working. God needs no rest. God doesn't need a break from your problems. God is an ever-present help. Psalm 121.4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know why you can call upon God in the midnight hour? Because His power is at work. You know, when God rested on the seventh day, He didn't rest as we think 
of rest. He didn't take a nap. He didn't need to. He didn't expend out his energy and need to, you know, refill himself up. God began to continue to use his power and still continues to use his power to sustain all of creation. I want to give you an idea of God's power. He's sustaining creation right now. I've said it before. What is keeping this pulpit as a pulpit? The power of God. Paul, writing to the church in Colossians, says this, For by Him, that is by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. As I said in my prayer, who sets up rulers? I may not like the ruler, but God is the one who sets them up. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before Him. And he is before all things, and in him that is in Christ, in his mighty, great, immeasurable power that is working towards, us, towards his children, all things hold together. There is not one rogue molecule on this planet or universe. So vast and powerful and great is God. That we look into the farthest depths of the universe and we see the power of God holding all things together. Remember, God's power is for you. You need to never ask God, give me power, God. We have all the power that we need right now. His power is towards His children. Look again what it says. We're going to go backwards a little bit. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? What does God empower His children to do? God empowers His children, first and foremost, to be obedient. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's power enables us to obey. His power for us. He gives us His power so that we can know that we can actually do more than we can ever think or imagine. As verse 20 says in Ephesians 3, Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God's power towards us, towards his children. Can only really be seen when we ourselves are powerless. If I'm able to fix it myself, I'm able to handle the situation myself, I don't think about God's power. It's only when I'm brought at my end, when I'm unable to do anything, when all I have to do is rely on God. Don't we know that God brings us to those situations sometimes because we forget in the everyday things of God's power? He says, I need to remind you of who I am. And of my great power. And though God's power is there to rescue us. And maybe you're facing a Leviathan today. That you want God to rescue us. Loved ones, we need to be honest that sometimes God does not rescue. 
Because your greatest need is not to be rescued from the situation, but your greatest need is to know something greater about God. That's what happened to Paul. Remember Paul when he had a thorn in the flesh? A messenger from Satan, as he said. Remember, look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. But he said to me, after asking God, pleading, and it wasn't like, you know, Paul just asked God, hey God, would you do this for me in a casual way? I'm sure when God, when Paul was asking God, it was intense, it was deep prayer, it was hours long, it was begging of God with everything in him because he knew that God had the power to do it. And look what God says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, God didn't rescue me. Oh, God hates me. Oh, God abandoned me. No, what was Paul's response and what should be our response? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in me for the sake of Christ. And I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak then I am strong. That is opposite of the world, is it not? That's foolishness to man, but it is the wisdom of God. God's power is also for the purpose of evangelism. Remember what Jesus said, or what Jesus read, when He was in the synagogue, and He asked Him to read from the Scriptures. It's in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. He says this. He quotes from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus left the earth and gave a commission to His disciples, it was that same exact commission. We know it was for the disciples first and us also. We're given the same commission today. We're to be faithful to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, because faith comes from hearing. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not my persuasion that saves somebody. It is the power of Christ and the spoken word that saves somebody. Therefore, speak God's word. Let God do the work. It's God alone who saves, who predestines, who elects, who marks out before the foundation of the world. You know that when we share the good news of the gospel, you know what we are in effect saying to somebody who is not saved? We're in effect saying, Lazarus, come forth. That's what we're saying. Because Paul when we get back to Ephesians and Ephesians, it says, but you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God made alive together. We're calling the dead to life through the power of Christ in the spoken word of God. If you are God's child, ultimately, God's power will bring you to heaven. Listen to what John MacArthur says here. 
It says his prayer here is that we understand the power of his keeping, his securing us, and, and his fulfilling the marvelous hope which is ours in Christ. The resurrection and ascension power. The divine energy that lifted Christ from the grave to the earth and from the earth to heaven is the power that will lift us to glory. Paul says, or Paul says he prays that they would know that the immeasurable great power of God towards his children is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Look at what it says in verse 20 of Ephesians 1. That he worked, this immeasurably great power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. No wonder Paul said, I want to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.10, and I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. God's power is towards his children. God's resurrection power. There's only one kind of power we need. It's resurrection power. There is no greater power on the, on, on the earth in time and space than resurrection power. God works His resurrection power in us so that we, you and I, the children of God, can do battle against the devil, the flesh, and the world. The devil is real, and he is seeking those whom he can devour, Peter tells us. We are told to resist the devil, and he would flee from us, James 4, 7. We resist the devil and we have victory over the flesh and the world by being armed with the resurrection power of God that helps us to obey God. That's positively. It helps us to obey. Negatively, resurrection power allows us to resist and stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Paul will say towards the end of Ephesians, After having done all that you can do, stand firm therefore. Because Christ was raised in resurrection power, He is now seated with God the Father in the heavenly places. God's power is towards us. The resurrection power is towards us. God raised Christ from the dead. The power that raised Christ from the dead places Christ in the highest position of all. Look at what it says again in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus said that's exactly where he was going to go. Mark 16, 19. And so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is and always has been the ultimate ruler because of his immeasurably great power that is his. The resurrection power that is in Christ. He, Jesus, stands alone above every other power or authority. What it says in verse 21. The power, the resurrection power of Christ sets him far above all rule and authority and power 
and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Remember, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire because they refused to bow to the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And when God in resurrection power rescued them from the fire by standing himself in the fire, when all was said and done, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? For who can deliver like this God? Who can deliver like this God? We read in Isaiah this morning, To whom shall you compare me? Can we be honest? Don't we compare God to a lot of things? When I need rescuing, I need help. Then I think that maybe a surprise check in the mail is more powerful than God. You understand what I'm saying? It helps us to set apart Christ as holy in our hearts. Jesus' name alone is above every other name. He is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. That's why we stand on the principle of Christ alone. We don't add to him, and we certainly don't want to take away from him. Therefore, he has the name that is above every other name. That's what he says in, in, in verse 21. And far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus' ultimate rule, his resurrection power, are for today and for all of eternity. Look at what it says again in verse 21. Far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. No wonder his power brings hope. It sustains us. It keeps us. It is the resurrection power of God that sustains His children in this age and the one to come. We are allowed entrance into heaven through the blood of Jesus and His resurrection power will sustain us here till we ourselves are resurrected from our mortal bodies into the glorious new bodies, a body like His. Jesus, who is the ultimate power, has all things under His feet. That should bring a great comfort to us. He knows what he's doing. And so then when we look at the news and say, oh my gosh. Yeah, it seems dark. It seems hopeless. When we look at our situation and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You're going to know that everything is subject to Christ. That he has all things 
under his feet. That your situation, he is fully aware of. That your situation, he has full power over. And if you're his child, he has not forgotten you. And he has put him in verse 22 and 23. He has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Who is the head of the church? It's Jesus. When history is done, when time and space come to an end, as we've often said here, who is going to be left standing? God's church. Christ's church will be left standing. All the institutions of this world will be gone. America will be long gone. Europe will be long gone. Any super, quote-unquote, superpower will be long gone. And the church alone will be standing. The purpose of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh was so that He would build His church. And He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. His church will stand. But have you ever wondered what it means that He is the fullness of Him who fills all in all? You know, there is a sense, we need to be careful here, there is a sense in which Christ is not actually complete until we're with Him in heaven. Does God lack anything in and of Himself? No, that's not what I'm saying. You know what I mean. If the ultimate plan is to save His people and bring them to heaven, then till that happens, something's lacking. But the greater truth is this. We are lacking. Till we, in resurrection power, stand before our Savior. Then, we will be complete. Then all things will be subject to Christ. Communion, which is set before us, points us to the fact that God wants us to know Him personally, to be hopeful in His promise, Live in His power and be secure in His position. Loved ones, we need to get this. We need to get this in our day and age. The church is under assault. There's no question about it. Christianity is under assault. Yes, the Supreme Court has handed down some victories, but it's a Supreme Court. God is the ultimate power. Jesus says that when you hold up that cup and you take that bread, those symbols of Christ, you are declaring whose side you're on. And if you take that and you're not really on His side, you bring judgment on yourself. God takes it real serious. We need to take it serious. So today, if you're God's child, you hold up that cup. You hold up that bread. 
and you say, thanks be to God, he gives me victory in Christ Jesus. And if you're not God's child today, and these things are on your heart and you're wondering, take the cup, take the bread, and say, God, make me your child. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is life. It is life. Peter said, where should we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. I pray, Lord God, that life would be in every person here today. That we really would know the immeasurable greatness of your power that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms far above all rule, authority, and power and given him a name that is above all names because Christ fills all and all. May it be our hope. May it be our help for today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.